turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to look this morning at verses 1 through 8. This is a passage that is filled with personal meaning in my own heart and life. I pray that it will be as well for you. Perhaps it's been a passage that you've already held on to as a charge in your life. In fact, this is one of the passages I've actually been instructed to preach on at someone's funeral. One of our church members that passed away had used this text once before in a funeral, and uh, she had made a request before uh, she died that I would preach this same text in her funeral. pray that it's not just a funeral that we declare, our message we declare in our funeral, but one we declare in our life. It was probably 14 years ago that I drove in with my wife. We had no children at the time. And drove from Johnston County into Nightdale and visited the Wellington Assisted Living just right up the road. My grandmother had been admitted there in Wellington, had been there maybe just a month or so. She had congested heart failure and she had um, a cancer that she had had for a number of years. And we had been used to her having bouts of sickness. But as I visited her that day, she seemed to know that her time was coming And it was one of her last coherent conversations with me, just personalized uh, for me. And she quoted the passage uh, in her talk to me um, that I'll be sharing this morning. And so I left there, Wellington, into the parking lot with tears just coming out of my eyes getting into the car and just trying to uh, think through what had just happened and realizing that she knew that it was the last time she'd see me and and talk to me. And so it has a a special meaning as I think about this passage. But as I read this, I know it's very likely that Timothy, the one whom this letter was first addressed to, could have been reading this with tears in his own eyes. And it very well may be in the timing of this letter, this is the last letter of Paul to Timothy, and it could very well be that even as Timothy read this passage, that it might have been that Paul had already been executed. It's possible that had happened. There's a plea later on from Paul to Timothy for him to come come before winter whether or not that actually happened we do not know but as i read this and and realizing where timothy was at timothy being probably somewhere around 39 40 uh, as he's as he's reading this and and realizing that he's read this he could very well as he read this and read the last part that he might have just gone back and said let me read that again let me think about this again let me just soak on this a little bit so I want you to get the context a little bit as, as we read this uh, and, and to feel the emotion, the weight of what Timothy was reading that we might read some of the same. 
And so in honor of this being God's word, let's stand and read 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 8. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Repuve, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded endure suffering do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry for i'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come i have fought the good fight i have finished the race i've kept the faith henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the lord The righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You may be seated. The principal point of the passage is the charge itself. And when she says simply, as as the main summary message, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. And then the principal action of that is preaching the word, proclaiming the word. And so you want to know what this text is about? It's simply fulfilling your ministry of teaching, preaching, proclaiming the word. That's it in a nutshell. But we're not going to look at the nutshell. We're going to open up this nut a little bit and and see what more is in here. Uh, And so we're going to look first, as as we look at, at this passage, the basis of the charge. It's what we come to uh, first, as we read verses 1 uh, and, and 2, we see the, the basis of the charge. What is the, the motivation, the groundwork for making a charge like this? We've already said, uh, looking at this passage, that Paul is telling Timothy, this, you're going to endure, you're going to go through hard times, this is going to be difficult, this is going to be the last days, and, and this is the type of situation the climax will be in, the climate will be in. And this is among the pro- professing believers. We're not just talking about the world at large. Professing believers will grow worse and worse. As we read in in chapter 3, he he lists out these vices that happens even among professing believers, and therefore suffering will continue on. And so he gives us this charge. But I want you to notice first the the, the motivations, the, the groundwork. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. I want you to understand something. Uh... We are in the presence of God. He is saying, I'm I'm going to give this charge to you, but this is before God. This is before Jesus Christ. He is a witness to what I'm charging you about. And so he kind of lays hold to that. And I think sometimes we just forget that we are in the presence of God. I have found that Satan often attacks us not by bringing thoughts to our mind as much as keeping thoughts away from us, such as... Do you know that God is here? That God is aware? And the moment of temptation, the moment when sin is lurking at your door, when when thoughts are coming to your mind, 
the very fact that God is there is the furthest thing that comes to our mind, isn't it? You realize that? So I want you to understand, we are in the presence of God, uh, and, and the presence of Jesus Christ, this is the basis, this is the foundation for this charge. And knowing that we are before Him, how will we live? How will we charge someone, ourselves personally or someone else? And then, verse 2, we see that, uh, the second reality that is the, the foundation of this charge, not only the fact that God's presence is here, but that this God, this Jesus Christ, who is the judge, the living and the dead. This is a way of saying those who have gone before us already, and those of us who still remain, that when we go before Christ, there will be a coming before Christ, and there is an accounting. There is a judgment that occurs of Jesus Christ, who is the good judge, who laid down his life for us. And so if, if this judge is for us, who can be against us, as Romans 8 would bring us to mind? But understand still, we will be before a judge. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, keep this in mind. There is a judge. It's Jesus. It's God. He is going to do this. And so let me give you this charge in light of the fact there is an accounting. That's, just, that's something else Satan likes us not to remember, isn't it? There is an accounting. There is a judgment that will occur. I then, I, I think about 2 Corinthians 5, 6, and 10. We go, and this is a great passage. Whenever you go through hard times, when you go through adversities and challenges, you need to look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6, and 10, 6 through 10. When you are in trials, remember this. We are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or are evil now why is that important because paul says that what awaits us is greater than anything we have to endure now he says the way he says is that the miseries and travails of this life is nothing in comparison to the glories that awaits us and that's a good thing because why i realize do you realize how evil this world is you know that some of you experience that how bad it is how difficult it is when you see oppression and justice, it lets us know as bad as this world is, is as good as the world to come. And so he, he keeps us uh, in that mind. He says, we're going to look toward this end. And so verse 3, and by his uh, appearing. This is the third basis for this charge. We see the first basis is that, that we are in the presence of God in Jesus Christ. The second basis is that we're going to be judged by this Jesus. The third basis is that he will appear. Know this, Timothy, there will be a day that Jesus is coming back. And so let me charge you, fulfill your ministry. Preach the word, proclaim the word. Understand, Timothy, that we are in the presence of God. So preach the word, fulfill the ministry. You see how that brings comfort to us? When we are in adverse people, when people are against God, against the word, against Jesus Christ, he says, understand, okay, yeah, they're in front of you, they're looking at you, and they're giving you disgusting faces because you actually say something about God. 
and say something of the word of God, but you are in the presence of God. Let the presence of God overcome the human face that's in front of you. And so we, we have this motivation and then this appearing. Let, let, when Jesus comes back, let he find you, let him find you fulfilling the ministry. So, you know, you've heard someone say, this would be a good time for the Lord to come back. You've said that, right? Maybe the, uh, you've got a test in front of you. Or you, <laughs> you know, you've got uh, some challenge in front of you. Uh, that's, uh, you. Maybe you're living in misery. Maybe your husband's being miserable to you. Maybe your wife is being miserable to you or your children being miserable. Or, and, and so we start saying, you know, I just want to escape. I want to fly like a bird, get out of here. This would be a great time for the Lord to come back. All right? So a lot of times we think about the escape of the problem that we're going through. This is something that kind of occurred to me. My desire for the Lord to come back should measure my desire for the Holy Spirit to be in my life. To be filled by the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about that? My desire to have the Lord come back to get me out of this situation should equate my desire to say, Spirit of God, Spirit of Jesus, fill my life Direct me. Let me yield to you so that you can guide me through this time. All right? So equate that. Your desire for the Lord's return is the same desire of the Lord's working in your life, the Holy Spirit's working in your life. And so when you're going through challenges, you need wisdom, uh, you need strength, you need courage, you need boldness, you need the ability to serve, you need to love. Say, Lord, this would be a good time for you to come back so I don't have to deal with this. Instead, he doesn't. He might. But right now, he hasn't. And so he says, instead, let the Spirit of Christ rule your life so he can direct you in this time. But nonetheless, we are to proclaim the word, knowing that the Lord is going to return, the appearing of Jesus Christ. And then verse 4. This is the fourth basis, or or rather verse 2, has the fourth basis uh, for this charge. We've got the presence of God and of of Jesus Christ. We are uh, having a judge of the living and dead in Jesus Christ. Uh, he is going to return, and then he has a kingdom. Uh, because Jesus has a kingdom, it is the basis for this charge. He says, preach the word. Now, if Jesus didn't have a kingdom, maybe the charge should be make a lot of money, live life to the full, enjoy your life. Maybe that should be it. But instead, there is a kingdom, there is an internal kingdom, so he charges us to do something else fulfill the ministry, preach the word. To believe and consider that even as we're sitting here, there is a kingdom of Jesus. Though there's policies in place here in America and other places in the world, there is another kingdom. There is the policies of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. When you're aware of that, and this is something we pray for, let us pray that we can be fully aware of the kingdom of Jesus in our life, uh, that there is an eternal kingdom at work. Let me share with you how it impacted uh, one man. The year was 1862, President Abraham Lincoln. His son, his only son, died. He's in the midst of civil war. It is a dark time. It's been said that when President Lincoln was at the lowest point of his grief in the late winter of 1862, one visit to the White House made a lasting difference. Dr. Francis Vinton, rector of the Trinity Church in New York, 
The insight which the author gives about Lincoln here is that as that Lincoln's in the Springfield 12 years before was reaffirmed a reaffirmed and made more intelligible by the spiritual help by this Dr. Vinton who offered this bereaved couple some good direction. His help came by the intellectual route. The only way it could for Abraham Lincoln is that was his Tennessee. The visitors showed that it was wholly rational for God to continue his interest in and concern for persons after the death of a body just as before. Dr. Vinton called attention to Christ's own teaching on this point, especially as it reported in Luke 20, 38. For he is not a God of the dead, but of the living. For all live unto him. And so it was this realization that his son, though dead in this life, was not dead. His son was still living in God's presence. So it's just this recognition that life continues on after death. That there is a kingdom. This approach seemed utterly fresh as the rector of Trinity expounded. Lincoln was struck especially by the victor's conf- visitor's confident words, Your son is alive. As the president pondered, his entire outlook began to change, for he realized that God cannot be defeated. If God cannot be defeated by the death of a little boy, it is also true that he cannot be defeated by a civil war. The author writes these insights about him. It was this first experience of his life, so far as we know, which drove him to look outside of his own body and mind and heart for help to endure a personal grief. It was the first time in his life when he had not been sufficient for his own experience. If there had not been the darkness of the late winter of 1862, it is not likely that there would have been that amazing burst of light at the end of the year. As he had done before, Lincoln matured best in sorrow. The profound paradox is that the great man became more confident in his approach to other men, including the men of his own cabinet, when he realized that his major confidence was not in himself, but in another. Isn't it interesting to see that what stilled the resolve in Abraham's Lincoln to go through the Civil War and to continue in patience and perseverance is this certain reality. Oh, there is a kingdom of God. This, what I see here, is not all that it is. And sometimes it takes bad moments in life for us not to like what we see here. When President Lincoln was looking at the fact that his his son was dead and the nation that he was in charge of was killing one another and that there's slavery was going on and there was this this, this certain doom in front of him, that's all he had to look at. He said, you know, God came through a man and shared the scriptures with him for him to understand there is a kingdom of God. It's not just what you see here. And that's why, please believer, here in America, do not give a pity party about the state of the country. Okay? It is popular for us to do that, to say, you know what, our country is going down and it's just being destroyed. They're fighting one another. It's abandoning faith in God and we're doing all these immoral things. Yes, Yes, yes. I don't deny that that's the case. But my hope is never in America. My hope is in the kingdom of God. Do you understand the difference? We do not have to have a self-pity party. The harvest is still ripe. 
We are set on another course. And just as a reality check for us, America is not going to last forever. Do we know that? Do we know that? It doesn't matter the state of the country. It, it could be a godly country, but it's still not going to last forever. It's of this world. We are given a charge in light of the fact that there is a kingdom. That there is a judge. That he will appear. And we are even now in the presence of God in Jesus Christ. Do you get that? Let that be the drive of your life. Not whether people think good of you or you have a good reputation. And so, our charge in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, the basis of the charge. And then verse 2, preach the word. Because of all that, preach the word. That means proclaim. It's, it's the idea of, of a herald, all right? Um, it, it is not just teaching. It is to, uh, to, to come in along with the one who's giving the message and rejoice in the message and declare the message to the hearers. And so it is worship. It is to proclaim and exalt the great God that we serve. It is the idea of, of the town crier coming in, representing the message of the king. And, he, and it's the same, hear ye, hear ye, y'all come together. I've got a message to you. And the message is not of me. The message is of the king who sent me. And though you guys and we all together have been rebellious subjects to the king, the king has provided mercy through his son, Jesus Christ, and he's extending a pardon to those who will come under the name of Jesus Christ. Hear ye, hear ye, this great news. It's not just, let me share some scriptures with you. Let me just explain the meaning of this word. It is a, a reveling and the message of God. Now, we know personally that this is going from Paul to Timothy. But I would just bring this to your attention. This challenge to proclaim the word is not just for Timothy. And it's not just for me. You are called to proclaim the word of God. Those who have been redeemed of the Lord should say so. Those who know what it's like to have forgiveness in their life, to know what it's like to have the life of Christ in your life, it is you to proclaim the word of God. And so he goes on and he says, what, what are we talking about? When we took, look at the elements of the charge, we looked at the, and now the basis of the charge. Now let's look at the elements of the charge to proclaim. For the word of God. When he says the word of God, what? 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. It, there was no chapter division. Paul didn't write, understand, when Paul wrote his letter, when he came to verse 16 and 17, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Understand, when Paul wrote that, he didn't then write number four. We don't write like that, right? That was added a thousand plus years after, okay? So, 
when he writes, all scripture is given by inspiration for God and profitable for reproof of correction, instruction, righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Then he says, I charge you in the presence of God. Uh, and he says, in all of this, preach the word. And so what he's saying is, all the scripture, explain it, proclaim it. It's profitable. Do you understand that when you have the word of God in your life, you can share it with someone. God can work through it. God's grace is going to save the people around you. But he's going to work through the word of God as you share it to save people. To save people. To pardon them. That's, that's an amazing thing. You have within your hands life-changing tools right here. You have it right here. You can carry it around with you. You can put it in your heart. You can put it in your mind. And in the sharing of it with others, God can change people. Now, we got a charge. How many of you were here last week? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you were last. Hold it high. Don't be ashamed if you were last, last Sunday you were here. Okay, so a good percentage of you. And so the challenge last week as we looked at the example of, of Timothy and Paul and how those uh, came before uh, Timothy to proclaim the message to Timothy. And we, and we learned this isn't important for us. And so the challenge is, okay, why don't we just start with our children or our grandchildren? I just put a challenge out there. And some of you accepted it. I will share with my children or my grandchildren, or I'll make arrangements to share with my children or grandchildren this week how God saved me. You shared your testimony, your story. Okay? Moment of truth. I told you this was going to happen. Raise your hands if you were able to do that. Raise, your, raise them high. Okay? Very good. Very good. I'm guessing 30 to 40% uh, took the word of God and said, okay, I'm going to do it. And it's about doing the work, isn't it? You remember Ephesians, or 2 Timothy 3, 17? Why is the word of God given? Verse 17, equipped for every good work. We have the word of God said that we will do good works. We can proclaim the name of Jesus, how God is working. So that's the whole point. Why is verse 16 and 17 given to you? Why is the word of God given to you? So you can do good work. Part of that work is proclaiming Jesus. So if you don't proclaim Jesus, why do you have a Bible? If we don't proclaim Jesus, why are we reading the word of God? It is to bear this good fruit. And so, now, how many of you are blessed in doing it? Raise your hand. If it was a blessing to you to share with someone else, just raise your hand. If it was a blessing to you. Okay? How many of you thought you were cursed by it? One or the other, okay? It is a way to be blessed is to do God's work. The working of it, the fact that I'm doing what God wants me to do, is a blessing. It is a blessing to be a, just a part of God's work. And so, he says to Timothy, preach the word. And then he gives us these intensive descriptions. In verse 2, he goes, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. It's just this rapid fire commands. 
all of them modify the same command, preach the word. You can sense the intensity in Paul's writing, his heart, his emotion, as he's telling this to Timothy. Timothy, in the light of, of you're in God's presence, he's coming again, there's a kingdom, he's the judge, preach the word. Do it anytime, in season, out of season, when folks want to hear it, when, it's, when you feel comfortable, when you don't feel comfortable, anytime is fair game. Preach the word and do it with, with, with re, rebuking, reproving, and exhorting. Do it with complete patience. It's just this rapid fire. We are to proclaim the word. A lot of times we tell ourselves, you know what? Just not the right time to do it. Be ready anytime. Be ready anytime the idea of verse 2 in season and out press home on it in all occasions convenient or inconvenient reprove it means to to guide along the path of obedience and faith it is a correcting aspect the rebuking is is to put stop wrong behavior and belief uh to exhort is to give courage to, to encourage to call people uh towards it's, it's kind of what i'm doing right now i'm calling you towards proclaiming god's word as we look at this and and with the, the idea of uh, my hope that we're going to look for others uh, and look for opportunities to share the gospel. We're going to try to find ways to build our relationships with them, to love people. We're going to look up. We're going to pray. I'm, this is a call for us to proclaim God's word. I was greatly encouraged to hear in the seniors' dinner this past week uh, just how a testimony of uh, a couple of folks have been able to do that in, in the nail salons and just sharing how God is, is working through them. It is just a blessing to hear how people are obedient and looking to do this. And I'm going to pray that it, that continue, that we proclaim the word and share it with others. Any opportunity you have. And then he says how we do this. We do this in season, out season, reprove, rebuke. But we do this with complete patience and teaching. Teaching. To endure. To say, I'm going to keep on sharing the gospel with you. I'm going to keep on praying for you. I'm always going to be here to appeal that you know what Jesus has done. Have I shared with you what God has done for me recently? It is, it is a worship of sharing with others what God has done. It's just telling the truth. That's all it is. You know how many times we, we suppress the truth because we don't think it will be palatable? They don't want to hear that. Well, is it true about you? Then do it. Say it. Just tell the truth of how God is working in your life. I mean, it's, it's whether you're in school and you're sitting there uh, and you, you have your, your time of eating, you've been taught to pray, and, and you simply say, you know what? I've been taught to, to thank God for my food, and I do thank God for this food, even, if, even the school food. Just say, I'm going to pray and thank God for this food, and just tell the truth. Pray right there in front of others. That's just telling the truth. It's what you believe. It's what you're tru truly thinking. Whether you're, you're at workplace, and they're asking, what do you think about this Christian stuff? What do you think about this social issue? And just bring it back to Jesus. Bring it back and just tell the truth. This is what Jesus is saying and doing in your life. And so we do this with complete patience and teaching to say we're going to be dedicated to this. Now, 
we keep on reading, and we're going to find the reason, uh, the reason for this. And so as you look at the text, verse 2 and verse 5 are similar. They're the two aspects of this charge. One, preach the word and how to do it in verse 5. Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. It's, a, it's the same charge. And then we have uh, verse 3 and verse 4 as a negative reason, and then as we keep on reading verses 6 through 8 as a positive reason why we do this. So we've looked at, at the, the basis of the charge. We've looked at the elements of the charge as preaching, as, as, as the word of God that we're doing. Now what's the reason for the charge? Verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. That seems kind of funny, isn't it? Keep teaching the, teach the word of God. Proclaim the word of God. Why? Because people are not going to listen to it. What? It is in the proclaiming of the word of God that hearts can change. But he says, this is what's going to happen as time goes on. People will not endure sound teaching. To have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Let me ask you this question. Who's he talking about? Is he talking about the world at large? He's talking about professing believers. Remember chapter 3, those have the form of godliness denying the power thereof. He's talking about religious people. He's talking about church-going people that as time goes on, there's going to be a... A turning away from the teaching of, of the Word of God. So, why? They're going to have itching ears. They're going to have desires. You notice what it says, to suit their own passions. Let me just share with you that when people turn away from God, at the heart, when they turn away from Jesus Christ, at the heart will be their desires. I've had some say to me, well, you know, I just... You know, with all the things of science, I just cannot believe in God anymore. Okay. Well, it's, sometimes you do find honest people who say that. And ask, well, have you ever considered the evidence for God? Or the things that point to God? Have you ever considered the things that, that point to the Bible? And they're like, what things are you talking about? You mean you've never searched them? No. All right, well, let's be at least honest in our search for this. But most of the time, it's a desire. The fact of the matter is, they don't like the gospel. They don't like God's existence. They don't like judging. They don't like that because it gets in the way of what they want to do. There is a desire, a passion. And so they're looking for that, that belief system that's going to satisfy that passion. I've, I've come to realize that if you have a re, or you have desire to turn away from God, Satan will provide ample opportunities to give you what looks like a religious, godly reason to not do God's will. If you ever do not want to do God's will, you will find ample support from godly sources. And you will be able to tell yourself, see... I can still have a sense of godliness, but not do God's will. He will provide that. And so there are folks who are turning away from listening to the truth and wandering off into the mist. They're looking for, for things that will uh, satisfy and, 
and verify and validate their desires. Now, let me just give you a couple words of warning here. When there's someone that's teaching the Word of God, and they're doing word for, they're not giving their opinion, they're showing you in the Bible and say, here, here it is, let me explain this, and they're, they're pointing to Jesus Christ in that. And when you've got a teacher like that, and someone says, you know what, I, I, it just doesn't do anything for me. All right, I'm not getting anything out of that. I want to ask why. Are they teaching the Word of God? Are they explaining it? So why is there no fruit from that? Why are we not getting anything out of it? Now, this is not a, an endorsement on boring preaching, okay? It's not, that's not what we're going for here. But when we don't get something out of the Word of God being explained to us, more than likely it's in us. It's in us. There's a desire that's captivating our heart. And now this teaching of the Word of God it is not satisfying our, our itching ears. It's, it's the Word of God being taught is not scratching that itch anymore. And so let me go find someone where, where that can be scratched, where that desire uh, can be validated and firmed and, and uh, supported in some way. And so that's what you've got here in verse 3 and 4. He says, therefore, Timothy, just preach the Word because there is an accounting there is another kingdom, and the itching ears is not the kingdom. The itching ears are not, there are not the judge. They will not be your judge. So live unto the king, live unto the kingdom, live unto the judge, live unto the presence of God who is there with you. And so we turn away from listening to the truth and wandering off into myths. <laughs> Sometimes it's said this way. Well, you know, I was taught the Word of God. I was taught the Gospel. I was taught these things about who God is and what He says. But since then, my view has evolved. Evolved. Okay. So what's implied in that is this teaching of the Word of God was inferior. But now I've gotten greater insight and greater understanding and greater revelation than the God who made revealed his word to you and you have evolved I would say that you're believing a lie what you call evolving <laughs> is really destruction Just, these are things I these words I hear from time to time and so he says in verse 5 this is the, the reinforcement of the charge that you always be sober minded endure suffering do the work of evangelists fulfill your ministry he's saying Paul it's going to rise up I mean Timothy it's going to rise up they're, they're not going to like what you hear do it keep doing it Green Pines Baptist you have for much of your history honored the teaching of the word of God it has nothing to do with me just your heart Stay true to the teaching of God's word. To say, I want to hear when someone explains something to me, I want to see it in the, in the Bible. Show it to me in scripture. Let me think through, see where it comes from scripture. It is, according to this passage, will be popular among Christian circles, professing believers, for that not to happen. When there has been a healthy church, it has always been filled have been marked by vibrant teaching of God's word. We go to verse 6. 
We're looking again at the reason for this charge. We, we have the negative reason because people will want to turn away from the Word of God to keep on doing it because that's through which God will change people's hearts. But then the positive reason, as we keep on reading, uh, Paul himself gives an example, verse 7, 6 and 7, 8. So I'm, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. He, notice the word for. Fulfill your ministry. For. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. This is a great way of saying I'm dying, and my time is about to come. And he's, he's using imagery from Numbers 15 of, uh, of uh, offerings, not to sacrifice sin offerings, but more of the free will offerings of, of fellowshipping with God where they would pour wine on the altar, and uh, the fruit of uh, the, the, uh, the ground, the grapes, and say that this labor now we offer up to the Lord as our fellowship with the Lord. He, he uses the imagery. My life is like that. It's being poured out as an offering unto the Lord and, and is about to come to an end. He says, because of this, because I'm about to come to an end, fulfill your ministry. Proclaim the word. And then he says, the time of my departure uh, has come. It, the word departure is the couple of images of, of one of a ship lifting up the anchor as it's about to sail or, or a military camp striking the camp so they can depart. It's that image of I'm about to get out of here Timothy. My, my time is, is coming to an end. And I don't know whether Paul just is re reading the, the times that he's in with Nero and the political environment but for whatever reasons he's in prison and he's about to go. He knows it. And so verse 7 I fought a good fight the word I've agonized fighting I've agonized the good agony it's not the good isn't describing his efforts as much as that which he's striving toward the faith it's a good thing to pursue I've agonized over this I have finished the race so it's another image uh, for us of, of running I have kept the faith what is the fight is the fight of faith it is the race of faith it is to say i believe that god is that he is here with me and that he loves me that jesus christ died for me that he is my satisfaction as we have sung that he is my vision which we have sung that he is my revelation that which i hope in that which i trust you know you have to fight for that to say that he is your aim and charge in your life there are ten thousand voices in a week's time that says don't don't live for jesus don't make that your hope don't make that your trust don't make that your identity every commercial is telling you something else to find identity in how many commercials do you see a day fight the good fight is what he's saying hold on to this this is a way of describing the end of his life i think about that it was uh, a couple weeks ago going along the Moose River and uh, with with a paddle, and uh, I'd gone about seven, six, seven miles. About which time I noticed, man, I've got some blisters on my hand, but I hadn't turned around yet. <laughs> I got six, seven more miles to go, and so with every paddle. It was pain. And just, you know, what was an enjoyable paddle ride of looking at the scenery, like, oh, this is relaxing. And now I was like, ah, 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 you know. And, it, and, and the birds aren't as pretty anymore, you know. 
And so, what do you do? You stop? Oh no. I gotta get home. I gotta get home. I gotta keep on going. It is through this pain that I can get home. And so in the, through, through another painful movement, you keep on working until you get home. And so what that thought is, is that with faith, with trusting in Jesus Christ and trusting in, and saying, Jesus is my all, my satisfaction, when you realize what comes at cost, when you say, Jesus is your all, when, <laughs> you remember, this is the same book where Paul said, if you, anyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will endure persecution. When in holding on to Jesus Christ means there's persecution, means there's suffering, when you have to go the hard way out, and you say, you know what, I could just let go of this paddle anytime. Okay, yeah, you can, but then what do you go to? You can let go of the pain, but what do you hold on to for hope? How will you get home? What will you trust in? It is through the grasping of, of oozing hands, oozing hearts, blistered hearts that we hold on to Jesus Christ and we say Jesus is worth it all because you are greater than the rest and if I forsake you like Peter said whom do we go to if I don't have Jesus as my hope then what will be my hope it's why we proclaim the gospel it's why we preach the word is to say, this is my hope. This is my hope. And when we come across people who have no hope, we keep on proclaiming. It's, it's like the image of, of someone skydiving off a plane, and we're down below. And you realize that something goes horribly wrong with that skydiver. skydiver. There's, there's no parachute coming out. And we see him spinning around, and, and we realize this is coming toward us. And as he's coming toward us, for just one millisecond, our eyes meet. And you realize this person has no hope. What would you do if you could save that person? And this is just of a temporal life. Do you believe that there is a kingdom? Do you believe there is a God? Do you believe there is an accounting? Do you believe these things? Do you, does this register as this is more important? And there are people walking around, and they are plummeting. Unless someone can share with them some hope. Share with them what Jesus has done. We, we, we know it's going to blister our hearts from time to time. There will be some things where it causes great pain of what we lose, but we have Christ. But like Paul says, we fight, we finish, I have kept the faith. This is life for Christ. People in Christ is a life of, cried, of fighting. The Welsh poet Ethelwyn Weatherall wrote this. Blistered, uh, my orders are to fight. Then if I believe or fail or strongly win, what matters it? God only doth prevail. The servant craveth not except to serve with might. I was not told to win or lose. My orders are to fight. We keep fighting. Verse 8, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, again, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So, a 
As Paul's looking at his life, this life of agony, of fighting the, for the faith, fighting of faith in his life to say, Jesus is my all, just to treasure Christ in, in his life, to say, this is my identity. As he does this, he realizes that when he has Jesus as his Savior and holds on to him as Savior, that Jesus gives to him his righteousness. But it's a righteousness that yet is to be revealed. And there's a day and time when we are before the judge, and the judge says to us, you're righteous. I see Jesus in you. When I look at your life, I see Jesus, my beloved son. And this righteousness is rewarded on that day. It's something that we still, though it's been given to us and promised, and in some reality, there's a present reality, but there's still much more of a future reality to come. It's here it's not totally all here yet. Jesus has uh, it's been promised, has been given to us, but it, it will be realized when we are before a judge, a heavenly judge. And he says, you're righteous. You're righteous. The crown of righteousness, which the, the righteous judge will award to me on that day. But not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul is saying, proclaim the word, preach the word, fulfill your ministry, because people are not always going to hear it, number one, but number two, because I have done it, I've finished it, and I'm about to go, and there's going to be a crown given to me, because I have fulfilled the ministry in light of God, the judge, I've done this. I've held on to Jesus, I've felt the faith, and I've loved his appearing, I look forward to this day, and and Timothy, it's just not just for me, it can be for you too, Timothy, so fulfill the ministry, preach the word, proclaim Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the word of God, keep doing it, love to his appearing seems to be equated with fighting the faith. Fighting the good fight of faith, rather. There seems to be some kind of equating that Paul is saying. Loving his appearing looks like fighting the good fight. Looks like finishing the race. That's interesting, isn't it? It goes back to the four basis of the star to begin with. He's going to appear. He's going to come. There's an eternal kingdom. He's the judge, the righteous judge. And he's here now. <laughs> Could be a day and time when God says through each one of our hearts, near that day in August 2013, in 2 Timothy, my word was shared with you chapter 4, and I explained to you that I was going to come again, and that I am the judge. You remember that day when this was given to you? I was there. I heard it. Jesus is there and says, yes, Father, I heard it. I was there with them. I was, I saw that. I, I'm aware of that. You remember that day when it was proclaimed to you that there will be a day coming like this? And I warned you that people are not going to like the truth of Jesus Christ. I warned you of that. But I told you I was going to be there, and I was going to award you. I, and I said that I, was, I would, could be your satisfaction, and I was worth fighting for. And he says to you, and you heard me, and you received it, and you fought the fight, faith, and you have loved my appearing now. You rejoice in this day. 
you imagine Judgment Day being something we look forward to? <laughs> Why would we do that unless Jesus had provided our righteousness? And so, I just want to share with you, as we read this together, you've, took in the, you've taken the challenge. I'm going to share with my family. I'm going to make arrangements to share the story how Jesus saved my life with my children, all my grandchildren, and whomever is in my life. Some of you, do it. Do it. What holds you back? And now, if you can do it in front of your family, do it with three or five other people you'll say, I will be praying for, and I'm going to be looking for opportunities to share with them. I'm going to be looking for opportunities to serve them and love them, and I want to share with them my story. If you have to, tell them that the pastor told you to. Whatever. But find some reason, some way, to share with them what Jesus has done in your life. Because God's here. Jesus is here. And he's the righteous judge. And he's coming again. And there is a kingdom. And we make a choice. Will you live for that kingdom? Or will you say, you know what? I'm a little bit too scared to do that because people are going to make fun of me here. And God says, This is not a lasting kingdom. And I told you that was going to happen. And I'm worth it. I'm worth the ridicule. I'm worth the loss of reputation. I'm worth it if, if everyone thinks you're an idiot, a moron, lesser, an intelligence, or just hateful, which is the common thing today. I'm worth it all. And here's the good news for those of you who have no story to say. You've come here perhaps searching for something. And I'm here to tell you, the king has said he knows our rebellious hearts. He knows how we turn from him. But he has given his son to pay a penalty that your sin deserves. And he paid it. And the payment of Jesus Christ on the, on the cross was good for you. And we can know it's good for you because he rose again to show it that his death was good for you. And he extends to you this day forgiveness and life. And he wants to call you son and daughter. He wants his spirit to be in your life right now. That's the good news. And when you just simply acknowledge the truth of that, and say, Jesus, I want that. I want you to be my Lord savior i want to live for you it will change your life it'll change your heart not just for today but a growing increasing intensity that grows as time goes on to the point where even your heart stops beating because you've grown that old that the intensity even grows further and that walk with jesus christ and you will be swallowed up by life itself think his life is not a shadow. Do you want that? Do you know that? Let's pray together.